Healthcare takeaways from CES. This is Industry Focus. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus Healthcare Edition. I am joined today by special guest David Kretzman, who works at The Motley Fool on our Rule Breakers service, as well as our Supernova service. Very excited to have you on the show today. Great to be here, Christine. Thanks. So, the reason I wanted to grab David in, among other reasons, was because he is just returned from Las Vegas, which of course means filled with good stories. But not too many good stories, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> not that good, but right. there, I mean, there were some interesting takeaways from this conference, which, if you don't know, is huge in the world of tech. And there are some very specific ways that it related to healthcare. So, first off, what is this show? What does CES stand for? What's it all about? Yeah, so CES is a consumer electronics show. Uh, it's an annual show that takes place in Las Vegas. I think this year it attracted 150,000 people, I think 2.2 million square feet of convention space, uh, different sessions and breakouts, a huge amount of exhibits. So, it really, it's called the Consumer Electronics Show, but it branches out pretty far beyond consumer electronics. So you had like the major automakers there. You have you know a lot of drones, virtual reality, a lot of cameras, just about anything you can think of that's related to technology. To that's related to technology, you'll probably find it at CES. So I know on last Friday's edition of Industry Focus, the Tech Edition, uh, Dylan and Sean talked plenty about. CES, uh, they covered a little bit about wearables. What did you see as it related to wearables? Yeah, what what most interested me with wearables is uh, what Under Armour is doing because Under Armour is a company that we follow pretty closely in Rule Breakers and Supernova. It's been a great stock over the past five or six years. It's been a, a wonderful performer, but over the past couple of years, the company has really amped up its focus on what it calls connected fitness or integrating technology into what's traditionally been an, uh, an apparel company. So over the past couple of years, the company has actually spent $710 million acquiring three different kind of connected fitness platforms or digital apps that um, help people kind of track their different healthcare data. So Matt My Fitness, Endomundo, and My Fitness Pal. Under Armour spent more than $700 million acquired those three platforms, but then it wasn't totally clear like how is the company going to monetize uh, th- those platforms? And now those platforms have over 160 million users. So clearly there, there's a lot of appeal there. People are using the, the platforms increasingly. Uh, but this week, with, with CES, the company kind of launched more connected fitness products. So it has connected sneakers, it has a wristband, all these different um, kind of technology products that are integrated into its apparel and then connected back to um, those connected fitness platforms. So for me, you know, it's still kind of a question mark for Under Armour because the company went into more debt than it's ever had before to to buy those connected fitness companies, um, and the balance sheet for that company isn't as strong as it maybe was three or four years ago. So the company is making a huge bet on this space. This is really a first step for them to monetize it. So that for me, it, it was as a shareholder and someone who follows Under Armour, it was reassuring to see them kind of take some initial steps to monetize connected fitness, but it'll be interesting to see how successful they are with it, because they definitely are trying to be a leader and a pioneer in that space. And whether or not this grabs hold, I think, will have some pretty big implications for connected fitness. Do you think that Under Armour is poised to take Fitbit down? 
I don't know. There, there's definitely increasing, you know, overlap between what those two companies do. Like, I, I would never bet against Kevin Plank, who's the founder and CEO of Under Armour. This is just—he's one of those entrepreneurs and those founder CEOs who's just so determined, and he—he he takes, you know, that competitive aspect of athletics. He—he he treats, I think, business like a sport. You know, that's how he, he acts with with his company. So, I don't know. I think Under Armour. I, I would argue that they have a much stronger brand than Fitbit does at this point. So, I don't know. Fitbit, I think. My, I think Fitbit has a higher likelihood of getting squeezed out by competitors like Apple or Under Armour or anyone else than, than Under Armour at this point. That's really interesting. So, looking back at CES from last year, one of the big themes was 3D printing. Mm-hmm. And from what I've heard from Motley Fool's coverage of the conference, that was not really as much of a trend this year. But one of the things that I think is interesting about this space is how it relates to healthcare. Do you see any opportunity there going forward? No, certainly. And, you know, we talked about Under Armour, which has been a big winner in Supernova and Rule Breakers. When you Look at the other end of the spectrum for a big loser. You look no further than 3D Systems, which is a company that a couple years ago was, you know, it was hyped up quite a bit. 3D printing was the next big thing. Everyone was going to have a 3D printer in their home. Like 3D printing was the sexiest thing you could find in the business world. Two years later, though, reality has kind of come back. Uh, 3D Systems and one of its biggest competitors, Stratasys, they had acquired a ton of different 3D printing companies. Now they've pretty much essentially written off most. Of, of those acquisitions, basically admitting we really overpaid for these companies and the space was just getting way ahead of itself. Yeah, since this time last year, 3D Systems is down 73%. Yeah, so that, that, hurts. that hurts. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Um, but, but yeah, one, one of the segments for 3D Systems that's uh, actually growing the fastest is health applications. It's still about 15% of the company's uh, overall sales, but it's, it's growing pretty quickly. And they had some examples um, on the floor at CES, uh, one, one of our colleagues and um, one of my fellow analysts in uh, Supernova, Brendan Matthews, he went and checked out their booth, and they actually have a, a setup now where you know a patient can uh, get an MRI, and 3D systems can print the replicas of the patient's actual body parts and organs. Uh, the company has a facility in Colorado. Uh, and this benefits uh, doctors and physicians because they can kind of practice and determine like what's the best way we can approach a surgery or procedure. So rather than you know, not not guessing, but it gives you something physical to work with, so you can actually look at the, the uh, patient's physical body parts and have an exact replica that's 3D printed, thanks to that MRI scan. And you know, that has some pretty interesting implications for uh, that that healthcare space. So that I think that's a more realistic and powerful um, application for 3D printing than say printing tchotchkes in your home. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a little bit more niche than was initially expected, but still could be a huge opportunity. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I would say when you're when you're thinking of 3D printing, obviously the commercial implications I think are a lot more realistic and um, far-reaching than the consumer side of it. And certainly with, with healthcare, I think there are a lot, lot of cases like that, or whether you know, a, a lot of cases in, in, in healthcare in that medical space that I think 3D printing can really improve a lot of processes and save a lot of lives. Very cool. So you've mentioned a couple of times the services that you work on, Rule Breakers and Supernova. Mm-hmm. One of the main reasons that I wanted to have you on today of all days was because Supernova is open to new members as of today, yep. which is very exciting. This is a product that is 
is not always open for new people to join, but starting today, you can join. Listeners, if you're interested in learning some more about Supernova, you can go to the URL supernovaradio.fool.com, and I'll do my best to get that in the description of this show so that you can reference it if you're driving. You know, don't don't go right now on your phones. <laughs> um, but so, David, can you tell us a little bit more about this and why people should check it out? Yeah, so I, I think of Supernova. This is really David Gardner's service. So some of uh, the listeners of Industry Focus might be members in uh, Stock Advisor or Rule Breakers. Supernova is essentially the entire collection of David Gardner's stock recommendations over the past 12 years in Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor. So when you think Supernova, think David Gardner. And David Gardner, uh, by all measures, at least here at the Motley Fool, he's th- the best investor at our company. He just has phenomenal returns. He's someone who found Amazon in 1997. He found Starbucks early on. He's really great at identifying these early winners early, you know, and finding these these game-changing companies when they're still young, and uh, you know, buying positions in those companies and holding them for, in, you know, in the case of Amazon for nearly two decades now, it's just been a phenomenal uh, performance from David Gardner over the, over the past one to two decades. So in Supernova, we have we have different missions. We love the space theme, thus Supernova. And uh, each mission, uh, we have these real money portfolios managed by teams of analysts that are handpicked by David Garner, and we actually give portfolio allocation advice. So with Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers, you know we'll give two recommendations a month, but it's not always clear to members. Well, should I buy? put 4% of my portfolio on Facebook? Should I have 10% of my portfolio in Netflix? In Supernova, we have uh, analysts who are actually looking at portfolio allocation, we recommend, hey, this is why we're putting 2% in company X this week, and here's why we think you should do the same. So, it's a little bit more hands-on. It gives um, people a model portfolio to follow, rather than just getting the recommendations and leaving people kind of on their own to figure out, how much should I allocate to these different companies? Again, if you're looking to learn some more about what this is all about, the URL was supernovaradio.fool.com. Uh, it's a landing page with a ton of videos from David Gardner and the team. It's a lot of good free content. And of course, the service is not free, but if you go to the landing page, I think you'd be surprised at how much awesome free content is on there. And a lot of uh, our stuff from CES as well. We were live blogging the whole time. So, a lot of cool, cool stuff to check out there as well. So, one of the things that really piqued my interest in thinking about Supernova and how it would relate to this healthcare show was fitting in healthcare as an industry or as a sector to a broader portfolio. I mean, we talk a lot on the show about specific stocks and, you know, well, it's almost more stock stock advisor rule breakers e where we're like, "Oh, we're really bullish on Gilead Sciences," but we don't really ever talk about how you would fit that into the broader portfolio and what you should be thinking about when you look to allocate specific percentages to different companies. So, what what is the strategy there and how do you use it for healthcare? Sure. Well, taking a step back, um, um, you know, as, as I mentioned, Supernova. This is really David Gardner's service. We're following his style of looking at the kind of growth investing style uh, within the Supernova universe, which is about 200 companies now. Again, these are all the companies he's recommended over the past 12 years or so. Uh, a good chunk of those are healthcare or biotech companies, uh, and they've actually outperformed the Supernova universe as a whole. So the biotech stocks have outperformed the rest of the stocks, you know, by by a decent margin. But then on the flip side, the, the amount of members that we see following those biotech stocks is much less than the other stocks. So there's kind of a disconnect there. So I, part of it's understandable. It's kind yeah. of a complicated space. It's hard to, to really know what you're doing in it. 
Right, right. Because you know, obviously, a consumer-facing companies like Chipotle or Under Armour, those are companies we see every day. But unless you're a scientist or a doctor, or in some cases maybe a patient, you're not going to have that hands-on experience with these different drugs and the drug development. So yeah, buying a burrito is a little bit easier to understand than developing a CAR T receptor. Just, just a bit, yeah. <laughs> so. Part of what we're doing uh, in Supernova with the, our newest uh, real money portfolio, Odyssey 2, which I'm heading up, uh, we actually have a team member, Brian O'Reilly, who happens to have a, a PhD in cancer biology from the University of Chicago. So he's someone who has a lot of expertise um, with, with biotech in the healthcare space. So we've been talking to Brian, how do we fit these biotech stocks, which have been um, historically great performers within Supernova, how do we fit those into a real money portfolio like Odyssey 2 when we're just starting out, launching today? And I think kind of the conclusion that Brian reached and that we reach is, you know, obviously we, we're not going to put 50% of the portfolio into biotech stocks, just like we're not going to put 50% of the portfolio into any one industry or another. So you might see, you know, between 10 to 25% of the portfolio put into biotech stocks. We're not going to have a hard number. There are a lot of nuances with investing, but th- then you have to take a step back and think, okay, are we focusing on early stage biotechs that don't even have a product on the market yet versus the more established players like Biogen, Gilead, Celgene? Whereas, so, so talking with Brian, uh, he was like, no, maybe we should have some core positions in some of these more established biotechs like Celgene or Gilead or Biogen. Then maybe start with four to six smaller positions in companies like Ionis Pharmaceuticals, companies that have a lot of drugs in development but don't necessarily have revenue coming in from drugs that are selling right now. So, kind of figuring out that distinction between the more established players that have drugs on the market, they have a pretty deep pipeline versus those early stage biotechs. Then starting with smaller positions in those early stage biotechs, maybe a little bit bigger positions in those more established players. For folks that have been listening to us a while, you've actually heard us talk about Ionis Pharmaceuticals by the name Isis Pharmaceuticals. They recently changed their name. That's right. For pretty obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, interestingly enough, after saying uh, some quote about like, oh, people are not going to confuse us, and you know, a couple months later they uh, decided that you don't want to take that risk. Probably the right call on their yeah. part. <laughs> so this is Ionis Pharmaceuticals now. The ticker is Ions. I O N S. Yep. Um, as opposed to ISIS. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, they're both, they're all really interesting companies that you've mentioned. Um, I, I really want to highlight the difference in how you would approach something like one of your, your big biotechs, your, your cell genes and your biogen, Gilead, <laughs> versus looking at filling out a portfolio of Ionis or maybe some other of the smaller players. Within Supernova, are are you considering doing all of that at once? Well, Supernova, especially with Odyssey 2, we start with a relatively smaller base of capital. Again, it's a real money portfolio. The Motley Fool is investing this money. Uh, we start with a relatively smaller base of capital, but then we're adding new cash to the portfolio on a bi-weekly basis. So, we have regular cash coming in. So, the approach that we take in Odyssey 2 is starting with relatively small positions and then building them out over time as we follow the companies. Get more confident in the leadership, you know, the, the get, get more conviction in the companies. Or on the flip side, if we invest a small amount in a company and the investing thesis just isn't grabbing hold, or you know, things take a turn that we don't really like or agree with, then we can sell off, or, or at least we haven't bet a huge amount on that company. So, I think that style is really especially helpful when you're looking at, at biotech companies because biotechs can be very volatile. So we're not going to put. 
five or ten percent of the portfolio into one of these companies at once. We're going to start small. So in the case of a more established player like Gilead or Celgene, these are companies that have very successful drugs on the market. They have a pretty deep pipeline. You know, we might put we might be comfortable putting a four or five percent of the portfolio into one of those more established players. But if you're looking at you know a smaller company like Bluebird or uh, Ionis, you know, you might we might start with a one or two percent position. So that way, you don't have as much capital of the portfolio at stake. But then over t- over the next three to five years, as we get more comfortable with these companies, again, we're business folks, investors, we're looking at the long term. With those smaller players, if we have more conviction in the companies or they have some successful drug trials, then we might you know boost that you know add a little bit more into that position. So we're definitely not afraid to start small, build that position over time. I think uh, that's that's a good way to approach. Investing in any industry, but especially when you're looking at these biotechs, which can be a little bit more of a scary place to jump in, especially for new investors. I think it's definitely, as you said, something that is a little bit intimidating to first get into. And so I really like that strategy. And I think it's something that individuals can also mimic, where all of a sudden, okay, you bought a couple of shares of of Bluebird. All of a sudden, you're following Bluebird. Mm -hmm. You've got skin in the game. And so you're more inclined to actually follow the industry. And I've personally found this in other industries where I don't really know much about you know X sector, but mm-hmm. then I buy my first stock in it, and all of a sudden I'm following it. So it's a good way of approaching healthcare, big scary biotech. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, all, you, know, you can compare it to other industries in supernova, like semiconductor companies. Like realistically, everyday consumers, we're not going to know a whole lot about companies like NXP semiconductors mm-hmm. or Amberella. Like, we won't necessarily know the engineering behind how this works unless you're actually in that industry. So sort of the same way, we'll start small with companies or industries we're not quite as familiar with you know we, we can't grasp like the burrito or the of Chipotle or the clothing of Under Armour but you still start small and as you get more confident in the company and that industry then you can increase the allocation that you have to those kind of companies and industries in the portfolio so i think that's how we'll start with with biotech in Odyssey too, we're not going to put obviously the whole portfolio or a substantial portion of the portfolio in one company or one industry like biotech, but we'll start small, get more comfortable with it over time, and as we find the companies that we really have a high conviction in over the long term, we'll definitely we'll be comfortable building that position over time. And of course, the research that individuals can find through services like Supernova should be immensely helpful in figuring out, hey, what's a semiconductor do again? Uh, let me remind folks that, as always, people on the program could have interest in the stocks that we talk about. The Motley Fool could have formal recommendations for or against them. So do that research. Don't buy or sell based solely on what you hear. One more thing before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention the Motley Fool's 2015 philanthropy partner, the Fistula Foundation. Uh, so every year, the Motley Fool partners with a different charity. This year, it was the Fistula Foundation. And I realized that I would be remiss if I didn't mention this on the show, because it really is an amazing organization. It provides hope for women who suffer from a childbirth injury known as obstetric fistula, which leaves them incontinent and often outcasts in their society. But it's totally treatable with a $450 surgery. But yet a million women in the world still are living with this treatable injury. So the Motley Fool has raised a little bit over eighty thousand dollars so far in our holiday drive. The drive is going on all the way through the end of January. Our stretch goal is one hundred thousand dollars. Shoot me an email at industryfocus@fool.com for a link to our Motley Fool fundraising page, or just search for the Fistula Foundation and donate directly. It really is an amazing cause, and you have until the end of the month if you want to help us make our goal. But of course, their doors are always open, so definitely check them out. 
David, thank you so much for being here today. Folks, I really hope that you found this interesting and informative, looking at how you would fit healthcare into a broader portfolio and also some fun CES takeaways. So thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Appreciate it. Good. And folks, thanks for listening and full on. Thank you.